Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Hammer and Rails podcast, which, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm Ryan Bonaparte. And you might notice uh, today, Ryan and I sound a little bit different. Ryan has just uh, completed uh, a move across the country. He is now back in Illinois, uh, so he is still unpacking, still moving things around. And I am currently on vacation in Florida um, at my in-laws. I'm sitting outside on a deck uh, looking out over the water, so you may you might hear some uh, some nighttime Florida noises in the background. But we had to give you a new podcast because we haven't been with you in about a week. So uh, Ryan, how did the move go? Uh, long, but you know it's exciting to be close back to home. So I can definitely go to more Purdue basketball games. There you go. There Took you go. Some time be- for the season to wind down. Yeah. Did you now? Did you drive a big truck across the country? Or did you have things shipped? No, we had we had to drive the truck, and going through the mountains, there was a high wind advisory too. Oh. So, yeah, that was a fun time. We managed to get up to about fifty miles per hour at some points, but oh my gosh, it was a slog. Yeah, I'll tell you when we when my wife and I moved from Indiana, uh, we were in Zionsville time, and we moved to uh, Fairfax County, Virginia. I drove like basically a semi. I mean, it was like the biggest U-Haul you can rent. And I drove it nonstop right. from Zionsville to Virginia. That was just a nightmare. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. never want to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all kind of on that same page. I don't know how truck drivers do it. Oh, Kudos no, absolutely to them. not. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about two games tonight. One, uh, the game against Maryland that we would prefer not to talk about. And then, of course, the game today, earlier, uh, against Ohio State, which was much better, uh, much more enjoyable. But uh, unfortunately, duty calls, we do have to talk about the Maryland game. And I was in attendance at this game um, in the media media section. And before we get into the game itself, I just want to say uh, terrible seating for the media at uh, Maryland. I believe they have a row of like the, the people they care about, you know, the, the high-level media folks, the people like uh, ESPN or, uh, you know, if they have any Big Ten correspondents there, you know, they get the good seats um, on uh, Media Row, like right there on the floor, whereas people like me who write for a blog, granted, you know, the world's best blog, uh, <laughs> we get stuck We get stuck right next to the student section behind 
the uh, behind the be- the uh, actual basket. So not a great view of the opposite end of the court, uh, but it, it was a strange experience. We're right near the next to the students. You know, we could hear everything they were yelling. And let me tell you, those Maryland students were uh, rather mean to uh, produce players. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what's going to happen when you have 17 to – or 18 to 22-year-olds just all in one place. And there's alcohol sales, so yes. that'll happen. Yeah, and the alcohol lines uh, were quite long uh, as I as I walked around the arena, so I can attest to that fact. So, you know, they've always been um, a student section. They love to call people ugly. I don't know what it is. Uh, they did it with Isaac Haas uh, when he was there. They did it, um, you know, they've now done it to Zach Eady. I don't know what it is about people's appearance that they love to critique, but there it is, uh, one of their go-tos, I guess. Uh, but whatever they did, um, you know, a couple of factors worked against Purdue. Uh, they seemed to be rattled by the crowd. And, you know, regardless of the language and everything else in the crowd, it, it was a great crowd. Uh, very rowdy, very lively. That student section at Maryland always brings it. I'm always impressed with them during Big Ten season. So kudos to them for that. But also, um, as you've seen on the site, as you've seen on our Twitter and our Facebook Oh my goodness, was this one of the worst officiated games uh, I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, it's, they seem to have taken, you don't want to speculate that the refs took Matt Painter's words and just said, hey, guess what, we control this game. But it looked like that's what they did. Yeah, I mean, because this was this was just a couple of days after Painter publicly uh you know, complain saying that officials need to get a hold of the the game. They need to really take care because somebody's going to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, he made excellent mm. points. He was measured. He was reserved. He was typical Matt Painter. Um, but it, it does seem odd that just a couple of days after he gave that interview, uh, Purdue goes into Maryland and their players just get the absolute hell beat out of them. And Maryland doesn't get a foul called on them in the first half until something like 15 minutes and 41 seconds go by, something along that. That lines. I mean, there was there was either four something or five something minutes left in the first half before Maryland even got their first foul called on the game, and and I've I've, I've never seen that happen. Yeah, and then the second half they went, I believe, the first nine minutes without yeah. a foul called up. Yep. It's just it, it, Purdue just got discouraged because nothing they could do would seemingly uh, stop these runs. And they went into halftime up by three. Like, they uh, made do with what they had in the first half. And just in the second half, it just unraveled. Yeah, I mean, and it was it all really... them with a Mason Gillis technical. Yeah. Just, yeah, I mean. To which the guy hit himself in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Gillis fouled him for sure, I thought, uh, from what I saw. Uh, but I had to see it on the replay because, again, that was in the opposite side of the floor where I was as the media, and it was basically the basket was about all I saw. Um, so I saw the replay, and it sure looked like he fouled him. So I have no issue with, with Gillis being called for the foul there. Um, right. But his reaction to it set the official off for whatever reason. I think because uh, college officials are some of the most fragile people you'll ever meet, and how dare <laughs> you question their authority – because, man, that really seemed like a snap technical to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, just kind of wait. I mean, everyone says you can't show up the official 
okay, but still, he just kind of waved at the call. It's not like it's not like he's belligerent or anything. So, and I guess everyone seemed to love that it was of all people Mason Gillis because that's the other thing the student sections love to yell at. Uh, yeah, Purdue is the DUI thing. Yeah, yeah, and then and then they got on Braden Smith because he he airballed a three that. Uh, Smith himself claimed it was blocked, but I, I again that was on the other side uh, of the court, I believe, when that happened. Um, so I couldn't tell for sure if it was blocked, but he seemed pretty adamant that it was. Um, so yeah, I mean after that, after that Mason Gillis foul and then technical, uh, Maryland just went on a run, and Purdue really could never recover. Uh, that was where the game truly slipped away from them. Uh, they were up, I think, eight at that point. And then uh, Maryland just chipped away, chipped away. And then, you know, three, four minutes later, uh, Purdue was down by six. And then the game was just gone at that point. The Maryland crowd was absolutely electric. Uh, Maryland was – Maryland shot, I believe, 60-some percent in the second half. And, yeah. you know, it really showed when you look at the box score and when you look at the run that Maryland went on. It, as bad as it was officiated – I think Maryland just shot the lights out, and it would have been hard for Purdue to win regardless. Game and even shots uh, down low, like Edie went and shot fifty percent, which is not his norm. He usually shoots better than that, but just two of thirteen from beyond the arc—that is not going to get it done, especially on uh, on the road in the Big Ten. So you have to shoot better than that, and it all comes kind of back to this there. Fouls were not occurring. Purdue only shot 10 free throws. Like, they are used to shooting 20, 25 free throws in a game, and sometimes you're not going to get that. Right, wrong, or indifferent, but they could not overcome the lack of charity stripe shots. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was a tough game all around, um, but, you know, Purdue really was. I mean, they were just getting... They were getting hit the whole game. I mean, there was one player play where uh, I believe it was David Jenkins Jr. just got, like, hip-checked right in front of the Purdue bench, uh, and there was no call. And for those, I think, who watch on TV and aren't in the arena and are looking for this thing, they constantly come at us in our mentions and in our Facebook posts of, you know, Painter needs to get attacked. And Gabby talked about this uh, on the last podcast, um, how she would be okay with Painter getting attacked. And, I mean, I understand it to a degree, but I'm not in that school of thought. And people say, you know, Painter never goes after the officials, never argues. But if you were at that Maryland game, as I was, you every time the official ran down the floor, Painter was in his ear. Every single time. And he was animated, he was yelling, he was pointing. And at one point, I really did think he was going to get a tech because as the official was running by, I, I believe it was like a fast break or a uh, – defensive rebound for Maryland because they were, they were really hustling down on the other end and painter like got close to the official was yelling at him. The official turned his head as he ran by. And I, I thought he was just this close uh, to getting a tech right there uh, because that official snapped his head around real quick uh, and said something to painter and then painter jawed back at him once again. So if you're watching the game in person, you can really watch painter and you see that he is on these officials the whole game just because he doesn't get a technical and just because he's not throwing a sport coat, which, you know, Katie did all the time, but Painter doesn't wear a sport coat anymore. So, of course, he's not going to do that. 
Um, you know, you would think he's not fighting for his guys, but he's out there fighting, you know, for 40 minutes. And uh, I think that's just such a boring critique to me and just something that is absolutely not true. And you see what happens when there is a technical. I mean, for this game, it completely swapped the momentum of the game and just led to an insane Maryland run. Like, you don't want to give the opposing team free points, especially since you're the number three team in the country. You can come back from these things. You know, you showed during the Indiana game, you can come back and make it a game. It's just Purdue didn't do that today. They couldn't. The technical led, you know, gained some even more momentum that Maryland was having, and just it spiraled. And in this game, you also saw nobody could rebound on Purdue's side, it seemed like. I mean, they finished with 20 rebounds, Maryland with 25, but there were, what, three offensive rebounds for Purdue in this game? Yeah, that is not their norm either. And it kind of shows that it was just brutal physically that nobody could go up, especially Zach Eady. He couldn't go up, get these offensive rebounds, and then do his, you know, patented put back for an easy two. It was just, on all accounts, just absolutely brutal in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, and and to your point about rebounding, I think that's one thing that people have pointed out is, yes, you know, Purdue had some troubles on defense. Uh, Maryland shot the lights out. But at the same time, Purdue was getting the hell beat out of them on both ends of the floor, and that makes rebounding difficult. And – when you see a team like Purdue who leads the nation in rebounding or, you know, did at one point and, you know, these, they've had a rough couple games. So we may be not number one, but we may be uh, near the top still. When you see them only have three offensive rebounds uh, versus 10 for their opponent, they get out rebounded by five. You have to wonder was the physicality of the game and the lack of fouls, the cause of that. Um, And Mm -hmm. if the game would have been officiated, like we, we think it should be, um, and, you know, we're homers. We'll admit that. Um, but I think most casual observers could look at that game and say it was exceedingly physical. So it, right. if that changed, Purdue likely gets more rebounds, which likely leads to more points, could flip the entire game. So um, it, it's just – it's difficult to see what I think is officials truly having an impact on a game. In a perfect world, the officials would just be there to keep things going, keep things steady, keep things in control, and we wouldn't know their names. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not the world uh, of college basketball in the Big Ten that we live in right now. Yeah. Yeah, but we kind of transitioning into the next game, we saw the flip side of that world where fouls start uh, collecting and you see how beneficial it can be. Right, right. So before we move into Ohio State, I want to point out one more thing. Um, You know, Purdue had a lot of struggles um, on offense. I mean, you look at Caleb first. He only was in there for 14 minutes, uh, 0 for 1, only one rebound, um, no points. You look at Fletcher Lawyer, played 35 minutes, missed all three of his three-pointers, two for nine from the floor, just six points. Um, Morton was in there for 26 minutes and had no points. Purdue overall had just 12 points off the bench, um, six for Newman, two for four for Gillis, and two for Kaufman-Wren. So when you're getting that type of limited production uh, from two starters and 
just a little bit off your bench, it's very, very hard to control a game on the road in the Big Ten, especially uh, against a team like Maryland, who has played very, very well on their home floor. So, um, Ryan, anything else on this Maryland game before we burn the tape and move on? Uh, no, I'll hand you the matches. Okay, I appreciate that. We're gonna. So while we take a break here, I'm gonna burn the tape. Thanks to those matches from Ryan. We'll be right back with you to talk Ohio State. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. So, part two of the podcast, we're going to talk about Purdue's 82-55 to victory over the Ohio State Buckeyes, who, my goodness, have just fallen off a cliff ever since they played Purdue the first time. Um, if you'll mm-hmm. recall, Ohio State was ranked 24th the first time these two teams uh, played in Columbus, and it was a heck of a game. Uh, really close. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer hit the big three, and Purdue won in the end. And then since that time, I believe Ohio State has lost now 13 of their last 14 games. Uh, I mean, just an absolute crazy fall off uh, for this Ohio State team who really has a lot of talent, you know, but just for whatever reason can't put it together. I mean, since the ball is about the only one who's been consistent on that team. And lucky for Purdue, uh, Key was out for Ohio State. And Ryan, remind me, he was the one who got injured the first time these two teams played, was he not? Yes, he injured his shoulder, shoulder. the first time they played. Yeah, yeah, he was only in there for a few minutes. He was supposed to be a guy who uh, could slow down Zach Eady, injured his shoulder, and then uh, Purdue, you know, got a got a lucky break there. So it, it was it was pretty great that uh, he was out for this game. Pretty pretty great for them. I mean, for us. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So and definitely. No, go ahead. So. Yeah, you definitely saw the lack of size in Ohio State. I mean, throughout the game, you had just guys who had no business guarding Zach Eady um, on on him. And for whatever reason, uh, Chris Holtman did not want to double-team Zach Eady today. And Zach Eady made Ohio State pay. I mean, he finished with 26-11, and 11, which is kind of ho-hum for... Zach Eady, but he just did what he normally does. He got to that jump hook, and he absolutely just went off, and it, it worked for him. So I think one of the keys was that the guy who came in, uh, Okpara, um, he picked up a couple quick fouls and had to instantly go out, and just there was no one else that could match up to the size of Zach Eady in this game. So you had just the 7-4 monster getting where whatever he wanted to do. But to his credit, Zach Eady pulled some uh, tricky moves today. He would spin to the opposite side of his jump hook as normal and just take easy dunks or easy layups at the basket. So he definitely he's definitely been working at it, and he knows what teams are going to scheme against him and he knows how to exploit that. 
Yeah, um, and and this as is Purdue's- one of those games that the bigs were really good for Purdue. Trey Kaufman Wren had a really good day. You saw it in his footwork and just made it look easy out there today. It it was great to see. Yeah, he had eleven in this game, including three for mm-hmm. four from the field and uh, five for six from the free throw line. And if Purdue can get that kind mm-hmm. of production from from Trey Kaufman Wren, man. Uh, that could be really key should should Zach Eady get in any foul trouble. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I, so you always seem to see a second player have a really good game for Purdue. Um, but in this one, everyone just kind of had seven to ten points. Um, I believe Gillis had seven, Lawyer had six, Morton was seven, Kaufman Wren had 11, Newman with eight, Jenkins with nine. Everyone just sort of put in and shared shared the ball, but and then Edie got his. But you saw a difference in the officiating in this game. There were fouls that were fouls that were finally called. When Edie yeah. got shoved in the back with an arm bar, it was finally called. And Chris Holman did not look happy about it. Watched and he saw his team foul Purdue, and Purdue was in the double bonus like 10 minutes into the first half, and he was not happy about it, but those are the correct calls. So if this is how games are officiated, I understand we're, as you said, we're all homers here, but this is the correct way to call it. If there's excessive contact, if there's an arm bar, if you push someone out of the way, it's a foul. And Purdue's really good at drawing those and pretty good at not uh, committing those fouls. So if the Big Ten can continue on that, I don't think uh, there will be as much complaining from our side. We like to complain, however. I mean, it's yelling into the void is our specialty. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the whole point of this podcast, you know. Uh, I know we get listeners and, and every, you know, SB Nation gives us a little bit of coin for it, but let's be honest, uh, we're we're basically just getting things off our chest here, and uh, we're amazed that people listen. But uh, so, I mean, a couple things that I thought, you know, stood out in this game, um, mm-hmm. Purdue's field goal percentage was really good, uh, 50% and 43% from three, um, including Ethan Morton going two for two. And he's been shooting nearly 40% uh, in the month of February. So he is getting back to where kind of where kind of he we wanted him to be as we came into the season. So uh, that's huge for Purdue. Uh, they were 21 of 27 from the free throw line. And to our point from the previous conversation about Maryland, they out-rebounded Ohio State uh, third, I'm sorry, 44 to 21. So, that is more what you expect uh, when you watch the this Purdue Boilermaker team. And, I mean, 82 to 55, if you point to one stat that tells the story, I, I think it's the rebounding margin. Yeah. Yeah, it just seemed to be working so much better. And you saw, like, Gillis would go up and get the scrappy rebounds that he's known to get, and then everyone seemingly had multiple rebounds. Um, I think the only starter who didn't was Lawyer, and he's not a, he's not a rebounding guy. Yeah, so, he's, that's not yeah, what he's known for. Yeah. So, I mean, you saw it. Edie and Gillis combined to have the same amount of rebounds as Ohio State. And Which is again, just wild. Without Zed, 
Yeah. And without Zed Key, you knew it was going to be a rough day for Ohio State. And then especially when their big man gets into foul trouble early, it was going to be rough. But another key that I love to uh, see is Zach Eady is forcing mid-range jumpers. And they started falling for Ohio State at the very beginning of the game. There were a couple turnovers that led to easy buckets, but a couple mid-range jumpers uh, went down for Ohio State. And I believe it was 8-2 to two at that point. So, yeah. then, I mean, if if they're making those shots, okay. But when Zach Eady is in the low post, there were several times where a player could have drove but had to settle for a mid-range jumper just because of Zach Eady being there. And they missed. You know, that's not the most effective shot for anybody on offense. A layup is easier than a jumper. So Zach Eady's defensive prowess was really on display today. I mean, he had three blocks, and then Ohio State realized maybe we shouldn't go into the paint when he's there. Right, right. So what did you think um, about the way Purdue handled the press today? I think we finally saw Ethan Morton get the ball and take it up himself. And I think that was very important just because Ethan Morton can handle the ball and run the offense by himself. He's done it before. I think Braden Smith is obviously better at it. He's more of a true point guard, but Ethan Morton is definitely capable enough. And it finally got to the point where, okay, Smith is doubled. You bounce pass to Morton, who then dribbles into the center of the court rather up the, than up the yeah. sideline where he's going to get doubled and trapped. So I think that was effective just in the sense that they didn't have any 10-second violations, always good, and they didn't lose as much time as they have previously to that press. So I don't. it might be a result of, hey, Matt Painter understands that we're going to be put in a press almost exclusively now, it seems so that way, yeah. let's figure out how to beat it. But some of that may also go to Ohio State got some really young guards. Um, I believe Sensabaugh and Thornton are both freshmen. So it could be partially the fact that, you know, they're so young, they may not know how to effectively do the press as well as other teams have, like a Rutgers or an Iowa. But – Again, with Ethan Morton taking the ball up, it seemed to be something different that worked, and I think we'll probably see that more often. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if if we do see that more often when teams press, because I don't think it's a question of if. I think it's when they do. Um, I do want to give you a live live update. Uh, We currently have a FranCon 1 situation going on in the Northwestern Iowa game as Fran McCaffrey has been ejected from the game. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So, so that is that is peak FranCon 1. Uh, Northwestern absolutely crushing Iowa right now, 68-47. to 47. So uh, Fran McCaffrey out of that game. Looks like Northwestern is going to uh, improve probably to, look, I believe, 11-5 and five in conference play. Uh, but, yeah, Fran mm-hmm. McCaffrey out of the game in this one. But uh, back to Purdue. Ooh. Um, I, I thought one of the best things in this game is the fact that Zach Eady only had to play 26 minutes. Um, he got those 26 and 11. He didn't play for roughly the last, I think, 
eight and a half or even nine and a half minutes uh, of the second half, just was able to mm-hmm. sit on the bench and enjoy the game. Um, and Purdue continued to build the lead. Uh, you know, they went, like I said, they wound up winning by 27. Um, and Painter put in uh, the bench mob with just over two minutes to play. And uh, Carson Barrett uh, scored four points and had one assist uh, for the Boilermakers. Just, uh, I mean, a, a virtuoso performance from the young man. Uh, a really great reverse layup and then a nice kind of a push shot uh, runner in the lane. And, you know, we love walk-ons here on this podcast. Uh, these guys put in so much work and so much effort. Uh, to see them get their their moment in the sun is always enjoyable, and I love uh, to see them getting the cheers, and especially in a in a Big Ten game, uh, because I'm sure it's a different feeling for those guys when they're doing it against Ohio State versus say when they're doing it against you know Northwest Missouri Central or something like that. Uh, it's got to just feel real good for them. Yeah, absolutely. So good on good on the bench mob. I mean they. They don't get many minutes, but they definitely always make them count. So good for them. Yeah, so uh, a beautiful display on this game. Uh, definitely made up for the sour taste from the Maryland game. Now, Purdue sits at 24-4, and 13-4 and in conference. They're currently ranked number three in the country, but uh, given that they went one and one, I would imagine they'll fall uh, come Monday. I, I have not paid as much attention to where the other teams around us have been um, with their games this week, but I just hope uh, Purdue can stay in the top five. I would imagine that they will. Um, CBS had their uh, early review of uh, the current top 16 seeds from the selection committee, and Purdue remained a number one seed despite uh, their recent stumbles. So, you know, we hope we can maintain a uh, top ranking because we would love to get that number one seed um, and, and have the easier path through March Madness. So uh, before we wrap this up, Ryan, anything else about this Ohio State game you want to touch on? Um, can we officially make the shot clock go down to like four seconds whenever David Jenkins Jr. is on the court? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He hit another one today uh, as the shot clock hit zero. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what it is about him and, and needing the shot clock to go, be going down, but uh, he hit another one today, one of his two three-pointers he made. Uh, he had nine, mm-hmm. but, man, just a, he had a guy in his face, uh, stepped to the side, stepped back, and just drained it. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I think it comes down to when there's that little time, you just shut your brain off and you make buckets. So, and I think... Of all people on this team, David Jenkins Jr. knows how to just be have that killer instinct and just get buckets. So uh, we love to think that, or we love to say that we, uh, you know, need all this time from breaking a press. We don't. We just need David Jenkins Jr. out there and with the ball under four seconds. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and for those uh, who have not seen it, I would highly recommend going um, over to Boiler Upload. Um, Casey, former co-host of this podcast, did a really in-depth and long piece on David Jenkins Jr. and his history in college basketball, as well as his history of, you know, hitting big shots as the clock winds down. Uh, Kind of turned that into a metaphor about the fact that, you know, Jenkins has been doing this for six or seven years uh, in college, and now his clock finally is ticking down um, in his last year in college with Purdue. So 
uh, really great piece. I would recommend everybody read it. Um, so that's that's over on Boiler Upload. So, well, you know, Ryan, one and one this week. Definitely could have been better, but could have been much worse. So we'll take it. Um, we're not going to touch the Big Ten stuff uh, tonight since Purdue does not have a game next uh, until Saturday. We are going mm-hmm. to take a look at the Big Ten in our midweek podcast. Now, there is one more thing that I want to I wanted to mention. Um, again, the folks at, folks at Boiler Upload uh, put this on Twitter. Uh, today's win over Ohio State, Purdue now has an all-time winning record once again against all other 13 Big Ten teams, and they've got the records uh, for Purdue against every Big Ten team. And I have a question that I think you'll get the answer to, um, but uh, I want to give you the chance here. Which Big Ten team, and that includes, you know, uh, Maryland, Nebraska, Rutgers, which Big Ten team do you think Purdue has the most victories against? My initial thought is actually Northwestern. That is absolutely I wouldn't think correct. Of okay. You are right. You are right. It's uh, the Northwestern uh, is Purdue has 134 victories against Northwestern. And then they're at next is Indiana with 125. That was my second guess. Okay. Yeah. So look at you going one and two, uh, getting, <laughs> getting both of them right there. So uh, well done. But yeah, uh, this, this put Purdue to have a 93 and 92 record against Ohio state. Um, they'd lost that. They had this, uh, you know, winning record over all big 10 teams a few years ago. And then they went on a really bad run against Ohio state. Ohio state overtook them. Um, but these last two seasons with these uh, come from behind victories on, on deep threes for Purdue uh, has put them back into a lead against Ohio state. They're actually the only big 10 team uh, with, with a uh, winning record over every other big 10 team. So that's just a nice little bit of trivia. And I thought that was, that was good that Purdue got that back. Cause it was just a little point of pride, uh, a little silly, but it's still kind of fun. So uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll chat with you middle of the week. Boiler up. Never down.